The Sochi Grand Prix of 2020 revealed many things to us all. Firstly, that Valtteri Bottas has found a circuit he can consistently win at. George Russell's Williams can actually hold its own during an on-track battle. But Lewis Hamilton can actually admit he's wrong. Let's get started. Stop fired, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sebastian Vettel's got it to Max Verstappen. And under braking, Leclerc has gone into the barriers at the penultimate turn. Perez ahead of Stroll, ahead of Ricardo behind. Oh, it's a tight finish. It's a photo finish. Adding another championship to his collection. It's Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. This clown, Tom, that we talking about. <laughs> From F1 in review. Yeah. yeah. More like F1, who anyway. are you? Sorry, yep. Hey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so bad. We have, we have some listeners. Mm, factual yeah, content, hi only. listeners. Hi. Thanks for listening. Please listen some so more. Hunting. This is this is interactive. This is the interactive section of F1 in review now. Um, just while we're, t- we're talking about Hamilton, I'm just going to crack on with the first point with something to say about that. You mentioned Lewis Hamilton. When I was watching it at the time, you know how they were, Hamilton was saying and people were saying like, oh, set first isn't where you want to be starting. Like pole isn't always the best in this track. Like second or third is like sometimes a better place to start. For a minute, like obviously I don't think that now, but when they did that that um, start, that practice start in the wrong place and they were due to get be investigated, I thought that they had done it on purpose. So he lost. So he lost a grid spot, and I know now that's not the case. But do you see where I'm coming from? Or was that stupid? You've introduced one hell of a conspiracy there. I know. This is four D chess. I know. Sorry about that. I I don't know. Well, you say you say that they do it on purpose. This is the same team that, in the space of three races, has one missed the pit lane closed light in Monza, and two has made made Hamilton do a, a, a practice start on the pit exit. So. I wouldn't yeah, say they're very switched on not. right now. I feel like they're a little bit like too relaxed because they're so good. They're, they're not Definitely paying enough attention. Complacent, yeah, sure. complacent. That's yeah. the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, and, and also you, th- you think about the thing in qualifying where he got across the line with two seconds. Do you hear? Oh um, my god! Do you hear Bono on the radio being like, "I swear, I swear, Bono is like the calmest person ever." He, even though they had like one and a half seconds left, he's just like, "Need to go, need to go, need to go." Need to go. I'll, yeah. Um, what I'll do is I'll actually edit that in for you listeners to hear. Now, need to go, need to go, need to go. Ooh. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, he's panicked in that audio clip. I had, um, I think I said it in the group chat. I had Lewis as my mega driver on F1 Fantasy, and um, in qualifying, I was like, It's a shoe in, like, he's gonna be first. And then there he was, like, in 15th. <laughs> and I said to my mom, I said to my mom, like, if 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 he were to go out to do his fast lap now with like a minute to go and there was to be or two minutes to go whatever and there was to be a yellow flag or a crash he would not have time to get a lap in and she was like oh my god yeah that'd be so bad so we sat there watching this is like 30 seconds later Vettel's in the wall and there's a red flag and I literally screamed because I thought he was going to be 15th but then I realized they were restarting but I talked it up it was completely my fault I apologize well that's the thing because if they had if they had um, yellow, because they red flagged it pretty much immediately. Mm. Credit to the FIA there, they didn't, you know, linger about with with yellow flags for a while because under that it still ticks down. But I, I do I do think you're right. I think I think Mercedes is definitely complacent because they they can be because, well, 
with only seven races left. I think that's correct. I, I did them. I did some napkin maths, and um, mm-hmm. basically now it's only Bottas who can challenge Hamilton. It, Bottas is definitely possible, given that. Well, it was more possible given that Hamilton needed two uh, more points to be out of a race, but since they've rescinded those points, Hamilton's basically not going to miss a race. But, you know, it's certainly possible, and fingers crossed for for Bottas's success there, but, you know. Not sure if you guys have heard as well, but it's no worries. Uh, In replacing that penalty, i.e. on his super licence, they've given Mercedes a fine of... 25,000 euros which to me considering the budget that the team has and indeed all F1 teams have uh, at the moment obviously Mercedes have the most that just seems like a bit of a token gesture it seems to me like the FIA have fully U-turned on this gone from mm, we shouldn't have given the penalty in the race mm, shouldn't give them a penalty on a super license is a fine but it's not exactly a crippling one is it in my opinion anyway no, it's I mean, really it will low. certainly, yeah. yeah, it's low, but I mean, any money, losing any money kind of sucks. But yeah, you're right, it is like the money is ridiculous. I was listening to an interview and it said the difference between 10th and 8th for a constructor in the championship is about 15 million pounds of like prize sponsor winning money, whatever the, what they, they get it for. 15 million between 10th and 8th. So what's first in the constructors? Like, so yeah, they're rich. And so that, that doesn't, isn't a lot. I was I was also wondering what you guys thought about the fact Lewis's comments being like, it's, the FA is trying to stop me. Well, that's what not true. Yeah, it's just, it's just not. I, I don't I, think I can say that there's one. There's not a penalty that they've given Hamilton so far that I've thought is being unreasonable, especially as I suppose they rescinded mm. the, the penalty points in his license, which actually doesn't make much sense from the FIA's point of view because this is one of those moments where you ask, well, who who are they supposed to punish here? Do they punish the team or do they punish the driver? Because arguably it's unfair to punish the driver because he asked the it team is. and therefore it's the team who mm. said that they did something wrong. But during a race, if the team does something like an unsafe release, um, the driver gets a, a penalty. So there is, I think there is precedence to certainly punish Hamilton. And I would argue that although it does affect Hamilton quite heavily, the causing Mercedes to... M- yeah, if, if those penalty points ended up leading to Hamilton missing a race, although that you know punishes Hamilton quite a lot, it punishes the team quite a lot because that means they can get half the points than they would usually in a in a weekend, which in any other season other than this one where it's Mercedes dominant anyway could actually massively impact a team. Could you imagine if I was going to say? Could you imagine if like uh, um, Renault? only had one dr- t- uh, one driver start on the grid it would massively impact them in their fight so mm. it does impact the team as well but yeah this whole 20 something thousand euro fine is nothing i mean in that when you see verstappen get really angry getting out of the car and throwing his steering wheel halfway across the gravel pit frisbeeing it away those wheels <laughs> cost a hundred thousand dollars exactly so, mm. yeah 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 and I find as well, I'm not sure if this is just me, on a, on a slight tangent regarding Hamilton, I mean, there's no doubt he's an incredibly successful driver. I want him to beat Schumacher's record because he is, of course, a British driver. And I'm not sure if it's because he's got Bottas as his competitor, uh, as opposed to Rosberg, who was an equal, or Button, even going further back. 
but the man just whines so much about <laughs> everything. Literally, I've never once heard him on the radio go, cheers, guys, great decision, awesome win, I love you all, it's all... Oh my god, guys, oh, these does. tires are really bad. Nah, no, no, no. He does, I, I think he does. After every race. At the after end of the yeah, race. After he's won, after he's yeah. given all the decisions in his favour, yes. <laughs> not during okay. the race. I have a point, though. Ricardo's comment. Did you hear Ricardo on the. On the yeah. When he went, yeah. I'll go quicker. That's my bad. That's, you know, I did I'll go that. quicker. And we do have a five second penalty for the turn two incident. Okay. I'll drive faster. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, that's my bad. I can't for it. I have a point yeah. though about that with Hamilton when they told him he had the th the penalty and he was like, "What for?" and he did seem a bit aggravated. Everyone was like, "Oh my god, what an idiot! He's so disrespectful." Last week, the week before that, Kimi Räikkönen got his penalty and he went, "What for?" and they didn't answer him. And he went, "What for?" and everyone was like, "Legend! He's so funny!" I, so anyone, to me. It's well, not he doesn't get any points, does he, Raikkonen? Anyone, so. anyone, anyone, anyone notice that Raikkonen and his engineer... Like, I swear Raikkonen hates his engineer. He's always <laughs> just, like, swearing at him and just, like... Just, yeah, but the yeah. thing is, we laugh about that. But when Hamilton does it, people are like, he's an idiot. And I do think there is a problem there with the way that people respond to that. But that's a whole different thing. I think, uh, Raikkonen's <laughs> yeah. not moaning, though. Raikkonen wanted to know what he'd done a penalty for... Hamilton was yeah, whining. But... But Hamilton does, mm. is a whiny man. You yeah, are absolutely right. Raikkonen's a forty-year-old man. He doesn't need to be so rude. I think he I is rude. I yeah. yeah, but he's in a dog of a car, isn't yeah. he? He needs any points. Hamilton's going to finish in the top three <laughs> if he's on the three wheels. Case in point, right? He, he, he did. He finished first did. place on three wheels. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think any of them should be whining because they're very lucky to be in the positions that they're in and in the cars that they're in. However. I don't think that he should be compared as like any worse at whining than any of the others, apart from Ricardo, who's a king, a legend. Worry about his tires, but the rest, <laughs> all the time, and it's I know it's, it's now true. basically just a meme. But you are right, Tom. It'd be really nice for Hamilton to be like, um, yes, yeah, so I'm really happy with the strategy, guys. It's going really, really well. Thank you. Um, yeah, but we don't uh, know the the stress of being in that race under those conditions trying to manage the tyres trying to go as quick as possible like it's a, it's a stressful thing yeah, but, but I agree he could have done it better it. if you've got time to whine you can definitely got go faster time to drive also by the way we all realise Hamilton is going to absolutely dominate the next race because he will be furious after this last one mm -hmm. he's going he's to go ahead lap the field he's going to match Schumacher's record at Schumacher's home track and yeah there we go What's the next? Nurburgring. Uh, uh, Nurburgring. Yeah, he's going to match the record yeah. at his um, home rec home track, I reckon. At Schumacher's home track. I'm excited. Unless it I'm snows. really excited. Unless it snows. Which yeah, it's meant this weekend there was um a, there was a 24 hours at Nurbur at the Nurburgring. Obviously, not quite as mainstream as like Le Mans or anything, but there was 24 hours at the Nurburgring, and it was called like called off red flag in the middle of the night because of like torrential rain and cold. So that area of the you know that around Nürg Nürburgring right now is pretty rubbish weather wise so it might be interesting if it sticks like that for a few next few weeks so we've got another mm. week till that one but if you remember if you remember a couple of months ago when we were talking about the upcoming races being another ring you predicted there angus that we might have horrendous weather so it'll be mm. interesting to see whether or not your two month I weather forecast I swear, I swear i make quite <laughs> a few good few predictions i feel like you I have i feel like i should go through and um them and, and create a segment like Angus's correct predictions. But every Myst time he does Mystic one. Angus. The <laughs> 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 but your own jingle oh, and everything. Dear.
But yeah, it would be great to see some wet action because we have had none really. Saturday, well, Sunday, yeah. it says says cloudy with rainy periods, strong winds. But not this Saturday. Yeah, oh crap! Weeks. It's not. It is, oh yeah. Oh, it's not this Saturday. Guaranteed to rain. Like mid October in Germany, it's guaranteed to rain. Surely. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. Think so. Careful. Yeah, you remember yeah, we were like, right. oh yeah, two British races. It's never been sunny for two weeks in a row, and it was like <laughs> the biggest heat wave. Why? <laughs> 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 yeah. like, so true. And on that note, G- going to crowds now. Yes. Yeah. Is that right? the fact they were cool. Fans. Cool. 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 When Formula One finally restarted in late July, we were told by the FIA not to expect to see any fans at races this season. But the eagle-eyed viewers of the last few races, if they've watched them, would be that this has all changed. Angus, go ahead. Thank you, Tom. So, yeah, as you said, back in sort of June, July, when the F1 season was restarting, it was still a kind of the coronavirus pandemic across the world. I mean, it still continues to sort of to be a major problem. But, of course, it was sort of we were still at a sort of peak back in June, July. And for that reason, the FIA decided that all... F1 races at that point would be behind closed doors. However, they did open the possibility that later on in the year they would have fans return to the races, and several races did express a an interest. Um, first, most notably Monza at the start, who of course um, is known for its place in F1 folklore, um, with the Tifosi being there on weekends, making it almost like a cauldron-like atmosphere. However, with the COVID situation, that, as has been in Italy, there was not possibility for any large-scale amount of fans, or any at all to come to the event. However, a couple of weeks ago in Mugello, we did see the return of fans to an F1 race for the first time since the end of last season. The authorities there in Italy uh, let in 2,880 fans. Uh, you may have seen on your TVs um, the odd smattering of fans, notably on the pit, uh, start-finish straight, but also on the um, around the fast right-hand Arabiata corners. Um, so they would have got a very nice view of Lance Stroll's crash and also the fair share of action on the start-finish straight, of course. However, possibly the, the sort of the biggest sign of fans coming back to the, to the racetrack was in Sochi last weekend. 30,000 fans were let in over the three days um, of the event, with most of those turning up on the race day on Sunday. Um, with the rules being that fans would have to come in with masks and social distancing would apply. Um, a major relief for Danny, uh, Daniel Kvyat, who of course got some home fans at his, uh, his home race and saw him put in a great performance, as we will talk about later. Of course, Formula One is not the only sporting event which has seen no fans over the last uh, six months or so, whilst the COVID pandemic has been around. There's often a talk, I often see, with myself being a big football fan, one of the major factors that's been talked about is the lack of a crowd and how that may have an effect on players, etc. And you definitely notice it, for example, teams who have home matches, tend, who tend to win those matches, um, seeing their percentage of matches won at home be uh, decreased, possibly because of the lack of fans. Um, and whilst that may be a factor in other sports, such as football, in Formula One over the years, it maybe necessarily hasn't been. Of course, there have been fans at races for many, many years, whether they've been in safe, crash-proof grandstands that they're in these days, or whether they were simply sitting behind straw bales and on grass verges back in the, the, the dangerous days of the 50s and 60s. There have always been fans present at Formula 1 races. This has always been a very popular sport. However, the crowd maybe isn't as much for factory F1 races, because obviously you've got the, the noise of the cars, uh, the noise that the cars make, of, um, 
were sort of drowning out any noise that might be made by spectators, of, which is, to be fair, is something which is less of a factor these days due to the now quieter V6 turbo engines that the current generation of Formula 1 cars possess. However, I personally have always sort of noticed fans being at races, but you don't tend to notice them being, like, making as much noise because of the noise of the cars. So... For me, personally, these first few races of this Formula 1 season where the fans were not present, you almost you don't notice it as much because obviously the cars are there and they're the main focus of the on-track action. And the, the drivers as well admit themselves that when they are driving around the circuit, the influence of fans maybe isn't so much there. They can obviously see, see, they can obviously see them as they zoom past on the straights. Um, but when you're in that zone, under that crash helmet, you maybe wouldn't notice it as much. So you you could say that these drivers may be sort of, whilst they've missed the presence of fans, their actual job and being focused on the job in front of them and being so in the zone as you need to be to be a racing driver, maybe the fans element has not been as much of a miss. And, you, and there have been races in the past when we had, um, to look at some examples, when we've had races out in sort of far-flung corners of the globe. I remember races in Istanbul Park in Turkey, which is, of course, coming back to the calendar this year. I remember races... In, its, in those days with bare empty grandstands. And you almost didn't notice because the on-track action was what you focused on and because the noise of the cars was so obvious, that kind of made you forget any lack of fans. Whilst, of course, at a football match, for example, it's only really, you've only really got the vocal interactions between the players and managers and, and all those people. So, of course, whilst fans have been sorely missed at Formula 1 races, um, maybe the impact of it, sort of, because you don't notice, tend to notice them as much, um, maybe hasn't been a factor. I mean, it's not something we've really talked about. But the good news is, at least, that, of course, like I said, Mugello and Sochi, those races have let fans back in. Um, the two more races this year as well, which are planning to let fans into the, into the grandstands, the Portimao circuit for the Portuguese Grand Prix, planning to let in 10,000 fans per day. And also the race at Imola is hoping to let in 10,000 fans over the th two day event that it has. So, very good news that the spectators are coming back to Formula One and long may this continue. I thought I was going to be really controversial when I said, when I was about to say that I don't miss fans being in Formula One. I remember watching uh, some of the football at the beginning of the, the pandemic when they closed off uh, that to fans, and it was really odd watching people kick the, the ball around without any screaming in the background. Which is really weird, but Formula One, I don't miss it. I don't miss the fans. No one really missed the fans because the, I don't know. It's just all noise in a different place. And controversially, also going to Formula One fa um, races isn't particularly interesting either. The last race I went to was Hockenheim, which was cool because you you get to go to Hockenheim and you get to do things like run on the track afterwards. Or in our case, we actually got to go into the pit lane and stuff like that. But watching a race on TV is just way better. Not only do you get to see all of the cars all the time and know exactly what's going on, but you also get to hear some real clear commentary that isn't being drowned mm. out by the engine noise. Um, for example, in, in Hockenheim, it was really difficult because, hey, I don't speak German, but I just wanted to go because it was an, they were doing like a special deal and Hockenheim's iconic. So I didn't have any idea what was going on on the track. And in the end, I put in one earphone and started watching it on my phone at the same time. And every, when it was coming up to my corner, I quickly look up and, oh, look, the cars are going past. And then look back down at my phone again. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Because you have no idea what's going on. And of course, um, whenever there's a crash as well and you're at a, a, a track side, unless you're, you're actually there, you, you, 
it it's really uninteresting because you don't get to see what's going on. You don't really know what's going on. You have to wait to sort of look up onto the screen that are around to look at the commentary and the the TV. So if you're if you're paying to go to see a Formula One race and you're just staring at the giant screen, then you might as well be at home watching the screen as well. So, yeah, I I think Formula One falls into a really weird category in spectator sports where there's lots of spectators. It's just it's better if they're not actually there. Mm. It's I'd a difficult one. Um, oh, sorry. Go on. I uh, mean, I, uh, sorry. I'm really sorry. Um, I, go for it. I was just going to quickly add. I agree with that. And also, it will come to no, as no surprise that because there's far less tickets available at the upcoming races, they've got it down to 10,000 or whatever. They are a million times more expensive because now they, you know, you've got to pay for the privilege of being one of those people. My um, my auntie lives about 15 minutes away from Imola. She thought about getting tickets and then changed her mind when she saw the prices. So yeah, it is definitely, people are going to go, it's going to be the super rich people who are going to go for the fact they go, they've gone to a Grand Prix rather than your classic fans who are like, like normal folk like us. So they're ridiculously expensive apparently. But um, hopefully if, when things are better, they'll be charging normal prices again, and then us normals can can go again just for the experience, and as you say, not for the track views, because as you say, like it's impossible to follow, yeah. and it's much better on the TV. How much? How much is Silverstone to, to, for a full weekend ticket? At- Silverstone is so expensive. That's why we booked Hungary because Silverstone was so expensive. Um, hang on. It's, it's multiple hundreds of pounds because that's why we ended up going to Germany because it was yeah it was cheaper to go to Germany for a three-day ticket. To fly, yeah. And then it was to to go down the road. And Silverstone's only 45 minutes away from me. So, you know, and so it's, it's crazy expensive then. So I couldn't imagine how much Silverstone would be now. It is it is a couple yeah. hundred quid if you want to... To actually have a seat, to get into the, to the like, track area, not track area, but, like, the entrance of Silverstone, it's, like just under 200 pounds for the weekend but if you want a seat it's like 400 pounds like a designated seat 400 pounds 395 pounds 405 pounds 375 pounds yeah um sort of that sort of thing and i guess they're not the ones that everyone wants right that won't be like the hangar wait what do i think Um, the most expensive ones are like five there's club well there's a one that says club silver center but that's probably more isn't it more of a club that's 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 five corner right Oh, hi, of course. Um, <laughs> sorry. No. Um, there's also um, by village, the uh, village enclosure, and then you've got, which is 580, and then you've got um, the pit straight 530. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's pricey. But that's the sort of prices, I, I believe, that are like for one day at the moment in Imola because they've got such limited seats. Us mere mortals cannot afford such exactly. extravagances. <laughs> But anyway, Tom Clayburn, you were going to say some things about... I was, yes, yes. Um, I definitely have to agree, in terms of watching the actual race, at home is far easier and arguably more comfortable. But I would say for every fan, if they have the ability to go to a reasonably priced uh, race day or race weekend, as I, well, not saying Silverson was reasonably priced, but I was able to go one weekend. And for me, that's an experience that every... Um, fan of F1 or indeed motorsports, in my opinion, has to go to because the atmosphere of just being there in the crowd, seeing the sort of vitriol which is um, spat at, in, not not physically but proverbially spat across at Vettel, and you have the the sort of glee when Hamilton was able to win because I went back in 2017, which lucky for me was a hell of a race. Uh, but yeah, the sort of experience and atmosphere is definitely something which I think everyone must do once. 
but the the price is a real kicker for sure. Um, like uh, I think Abbey as well, Abbey and um, naturally the pit straight, uh, both very expensive, and that's kind of the problem which Formula One has generally speaking, not only for um, attendance at the actual circuits, but also being able to watch the thing. You have to go and either buy Sky or F1 TV, which I know were both ridiculously expensive. You actually get. Um, considering that the days where it was given to BBC, where BBC had the the absolute rights or the majority of races, if not all of them, are unfortunately long gone. Uh, and I can't see the days where Formula One is on Freeview Channel permanently every weekend or every race weekend is going to happen anytime soon, which is which is a shame, really, because as soon as you limit the people who can watch a sport, you limit then the interest it has more generally, which... Um, I could go on, but yeah, I think um, I don't think that's a good thing. I I can't agree with you more. Actually, I I wrote back in when we were in first year of university, so three years ago now. I uh, when when we found out the Sky were getting the absolute rights in the UK, I wrote a three-page angry letter to Sky, and <laughs> detailing with sources why it was going to detriment them in the in the future and um i ba- i laid out this almighty argument which um i don't know, i'll post in the chat for you guys to read later if you really want to but the really annoyed me the most was i got a really generic email being back like uh dear mr vancourt thank you for your comments referring to the this new sky deal with formula one whilst we've whilst we've taken your comments on board and passed them over to the uh uh, I think they said they passed them over to the customer con- uh, quality assurance team or something like that. Um, we won't be acting on them. And I was like, what do you mean you passed on my comments? It wasn't comments. It was a comprehensive university-grade argument. I expect this <laughs> to be framed. <laughs> like, I love the yeah, dedication. That, that is dedication, but at the same time, do you think a company owned by Rupert Murdoch is going to take any notice of uh, well, people's I, I, opinions? Well, I'd hoped, actually, it's secretly family. hoped that they were going to be like oh we know you're really angry so here's a year's worth of sky for, for <laughs> us <laughs> <laughs> that is a strategy and, and, then, like and, then you, and then you wouldn't be complaining about it not being on terrestrial you just because you get the free year of sky well you can get it mm-hmm. if you do want to know how because I, I don't have sky here and i do watch every race the way i do it if you use a vpn on your mobile and go and download the f1 tv app and then choose to pay for F1 TV in the United States using Google Pay, you can get around their uh, location barriers, which means as long as you use a VPN every time you watch it, you can watch all of um, the Formula One, all races, in fact, of Formula One, so that and Formula Two and Formula Three every re- weekend. And it costs me £6 a month, which compared to Sky is an amazing deal. That is good. Top tips and that's, Tristan, that's there was consumer advice there. There's a there's a great uh, detailing on Reddit on how to do it if you actually are interested. There you go. Link in the description. <laughs> <laughs> Shall no. we move on? Can't be endorsing this. Do it. <laughs> uh, we going for stroll next, right? Mm-hmm. It's fair to say that on F1 in review we have a joke or two at the expense of Lance Stroll, but we've got some humility, I hope. And we're prepared to admit where perhaps he's been unlucky. Tristan, go ahead. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I had a dream of a while back that Racing Point sent me a cease and desist letter for being mean to Lance Stroll at the time. I think it's in one of the previous episodes. And to be honest, perhaps internal me was onto something there. 
It isn't really fair to be mean to someone all the time, even if they did get into the sport through the luxury of having a Canadian billionaire as a father. Although we're not going to go there, even though it's tempting. No, as much as I don't like the pay-to-drive philosophy, if it happens to get a decent driver into the sport, then I guess there isn't too much criticism I can throw Stroll's way. I can still laugh at him, though. So let's talk about Stroll and his performance. Lance Stroll flopped his way into the sport in 2017 after his dad bought himself a portion of Williams Martini Racing. Well, I say bought himself a portion. He reportedly gave $80 million to Williams and Williams then decided to thank Lawrence Stroll by giving his talented young son a seat in the team. In 2017, Williams was still a competitive team, powered by an all-dominant Mercedes engine. Stroll's opening season wasn't too bad. He managed to come 12th in the driver's standings, behind his experienced teammate Felipe Massa, with 40 points. Although Stroll's season would be one with mixed emotions, he was, let's face it, a bit inconsistent. Having failed to complete his debut race in Australia after side-slamming his car into a wall and then picking up third place a few races later in Azerbaijan. It was a season that both Stroll haters and fans looked at equally to support their opinions of him. Incidentally, Stroll is the last Williams racer to get on the podium, so depending on how you feel about Stroll, depends on whether you think that's a good or bad thing. 2018, however, would not be a walk, or should I say Stroll, in the park for the young driver. <laughs> Uh, okay, sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Liv. No <laughs> I uh, I just, you, don't, you wouldn't have to put an effect in it. it would be just <laughs> um, as this was the year that went very downhill for Williams, and with a very uncompetitive car, Lance just couldn't extract the performance from it. Not that there was much performance to be had. And collecting just six points in the entire season, Stroll ended up in 18th position. I would love to say more about this season, but to be honest, it just wasn't very good for Williams or Stroll. Not only were fans upset with Williams for letting their performance go, Papa Stroll was not happy also. And and so, with help of Sergio Perez, he did what any loving father would do, pulled the plug of Williams and just bought another team. This time, Racing Point, who was in dire need for a financial bailout. So in 2019, Stroll would have a better car. With Esteban Ocon out of the team, it would be Lance Stroll versus Sergio Perez. This season wouldn't be good for Stroll either. With Sergio Perez coming in 10th place with 52 points, he proved that the racing point car was competitive. But where was Stroll, you ask? Well, he could only manage a lowly 15th place, picking up just 21 points, less than half his teammate could. And then in 2020... Rightly or wrongly, Racing Point had decided that they were going to take a little inspiration from the 2019 Mercedes. And something seems to have happened to Lance. Instead of strolling around at the back of the pack, he seems to be competitive, if a little unlucky. This year's stroll has been consistently in the points and on occasion fighting for podium places. For example, in Mugello, Stroll had managed to get himself up to fourth position before a suspension failure put him out of the race. However, even though Stroll has actually retired in three of the races so far, he's still retaining eighth place and, importantly, ahead of his teammate Sergio Perez. So, I want to know what's going on. 
is it just a fluke of the 2019 Mercedes magic? Or has Lance finally found his mojo? What do you think? And also, if you want to comment on whether or not he'll be better in the Aston Martin next year, especially whether or not he'll be better than Vettel, I would also like to know your thoughts on that as well. I could definitely see signs of improvement from Lance Stroll this season, for sure. Um, but at the same time, you would also hope that in what is his fourth year in the sport, you'd hope that if he was worth anything that would resemble or could resemble a long-term career in Formula 1, you would hope that by his fourth season he would start to show something. Um, as to whether he's better than he's having a better season than Sergio Perez, I'd have to disagree. At the end of the day, Sergio Perez, every race other than the two he missed for testing positive for COVID-19, every other race he's brought his racing point home in the points. Um, Stroll, on the other hand, yes, he's had the last two races he's been unlucky and he's crashed out um, due to factors outside of his control. But the fact that Perez has literally missed two races and not been able to get points of those and is still about one or two points behind him, I think it still shows for sure who's the better driver in that team. The more I think about it, I think it's absolutely criminal that Perez has been sacked by Racing Point at the end of this year. But um, again, that's a whole different argument. And we, we do hope, well, I hope at least that Sergio Perez finds a seat uh, elsewhere on the grid and can somehow sort of get his own back on Racing Point. In terms of whether when the Stroll lines up at Aston Martin, whether he'll be Sebastian Vettel, it's a tough one because you've got, you've got two drivers. You've got one in Vettel who's seriously out of form and is really struggling at Ferrari. And I'm genuinely, I don't know whether I can see him, I can see him like recovering Aston Martin, getting into that new team, new, new environment and hitting the ground running. But I can also see it going wrong. I honestly couldn't call right now which Vettel we will see next year. So if we get the Vettel whereby he's on it and hits the ground running, then Stroll up against a four-time world champion, I don't think Stroll has a good chance of beating him. But if we get the Sebastian Vettel who seems to have petered out a bit, who's on a pretty steep decline at the moment, if we get that Sebastian Vettel, then Lance Stroll could have a pretty good year in comparison to his teammate next year. But I'd, I'd say it's difficult to say on that point which Vettel we will see. But um, I think overall, yeah, Stroll is improving, but I think he's got still quite a way to go to prove that he has the potential to be competing for those race wins and world championships um, in the future. I'm of the opinion when it comes to Stroll, I've been thinking about this recently and talking to one of my good friends from Southampton, who's recently actually got involved, or should I say, started watching Formula 1 over lockdown, and my view of Stroll is he is a competent driver. He's more competent than I'd say a lot of the drivers on the grid, I'd say he's more competent than Grosjean, than Giovinazzi, than Latifi, um, yeah, but... Does he deserve to be in a racing point, or should I say, soon-to-be Aston Martin car? And should he be the partner of Sebastian Vettel, a multi-time world champion? The answer is no. If he was at Alfa Romeo, fine, I'd say that's a, a mild improvement on Giovinazzi. As I say, he's better than the Haas drivers. But looking further up the, the constructors there, is he better than Kvyat? We'll get on to him later. No. Gasly? No. Um... Ocon at Renault? No. Um, so you've got to say that he's above his station, in my view. And he's lucky to be in a car which is basically a carbon copy and sprayed pink of the Mercedes. What will happen next year, though? I think Angus has made a really good point about uh, Vettel and about Stroll. I think, in my view, 
that the the cream of driver they get or the sort of the the package going forward i think is potentially going to go down um because we've seen with perez we talked about him a couple of episodes ago uh, angus has touched on that again perez normally finishes races which is brilliant and he normally finishes races in the points fourth place at this grand prix of sochi and we've seen with vettel that if it doesn't go his way be it at ferrari or in the new era uh, the new hybrid era, it doesn't always go well for him. I mean, I can't really get out of my brain the the fact that he was leading that Hockenheim Grand Prix, I believe it was in uh, 2018, in the wet, unforced error, crashed out. And in my view, he's kind of gone down from then on. Uh, he's been involved in a few scrapes uh, as well. It wasn't too long ago, he's only about three points away from being banned on his super license. I think he's a driver in decline, truth be told. And I don't think... Stroll is anybody who's going to bring a fight to him. It's going to be a race to the bottom, in my view, for Aston Martin. Um, but I'd love to be proved wrong. I don't have the biggest of problems with Lance Stroll. I think that some people's comments on uh, about him are harsh that I've seen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I agreed, and I said in previous episodes, I see Sergio Perez as the best driver. Um, and so, you know, what well, I also want to, you know, congratulate Stroll for trying to prove or proving some people a little bit wrong on their opinions on him. He has been pretty decent. Um, regarding next year, I think he'll remain average. I don't think he'll blow anyone away. Um, but I, I'd like to hope because I prefer Vettel over him that Vettel will be better. But as you say, you know, we don't know at the moment. Vettel was proving to be, you know, quite, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen next with him when he's having such bad form. But personally, if I if I could choose, I would um, like a very strong Sebastian Vettel, Vettel and a reasonably strong Stroll um, as his teammate. But we shall see. Right, we're going <laughs> anyway. to signs next. It's just Me? a sign. Yeah. <gasps> signs ever wins. The episode title is going to be like, you know, watch for the signs or something like that. Something. Well, the second that Angus said when he was just talking, or like to want to go about the fans, like, oh, there's... Signs on the way. There's a sign of improvement. Signs of improvement or something. I was like, oh my god, I've got to get that in my section. But signs I don't really of improvement. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, we're never he going said to, it, it. to make that joke because he's never going to win a race. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's go. Yeah, a second place finisher and future Ferrari driver for 2021. He may be. But at the moment, the 26-year-old Spaniard of Carlos Signs can't buy any luck. Liv, take us through it. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. For the second race in a row now, Carlos Sainz was unable to finish a Grand Prix. Um, On Sunday, he barely completed a single corner um, before crashing out of the race. So what happened? Um, So the drama unfolded on turn two, a corner of the track that is notoriously problematic. I don't like it at all, but we'll come on to that later. Um, The race director's rules stated this weekend that if a car went off the track on turn two far enough that they crossed this orange painted curb, um, they couldn't automatically just rejoin the track. They had to instead drive off in the runoff area between some bollards to ensure like a safer re-entry to the circuit. Um, And failure to do so would result in a penalty from the stewards. And obviously we saw some of those given. Um, for example, to Daniel Ricciardo. Um, so going off at turn two was not uncommon this weekend. Like, as I just said, with a number of drivers doing it during practice and Verstappen, Ricciardo, Russell, Grosjean, and obviously uh, Carlos Sainz as well, having slip-ups there during the race. On that first lap, Sainz followed Verstappen through the bollards and 
uh, Verstappen got through very, very cleanly, actually. He absolutely sailed through, was practically going straight on. Me and my father actually gasped at television because he barely looked like he moved around those bottles. It was spotlessly done. Um, because they both, signs and Verstappen, both went over that, that orange curve. Um, and whilst uh, Verstappen sailed through those bollards, uh, Sainz misjudged it quite uh, poorly, uh, misjudged that entry speed and left his, his left wheel collided heavily with the concrete um, wall and obviously put him out of the race. He spun in front of the track, onto the track, sorry. His crash also impeded the progress of his teammate, Lando Norris, who ended up last after just a few corners. Um, while Sainz did take responsibility for the accident, he did suggest that the tight off-track chicane was not very well designed and difficult to navigate. I'm interested to hear in a little bit some of your thoughts on that, because personally, I'm not a fan of that corner and the fact that so much happened there just in one race and including practices and qualifying to me suggests that there needs to be a change. But anyway, let's talk about Carlos's recent poor result finishes this season. So back at the Tuscan Grand Prix, Sainz was unlucky, obviously, to get caught in that horrific pileup at the restart um, after that safety car um, and again was like forced to retire from the race back before that we had the seven a uh, uh, few races before we had the 70th anniversary grand prix uh, silverstone and a slow uh, pit stop cost him nearly six seconds and he re-entered the track um, into traffic it had already been a bad weekend anyway he'd qualified only in 13th or something ridiculous like that so that was a poor weekend and obviously the weekend before that the british grand prix he he dropped from uh, 4th to 13th on the penultimate lap when his front tyre gave out, just like Hamilton's did. So quite a few uh, tough races for um, the signs, and many people have noted, including him himself, that he has been suffering from some terrible bad luck. And he said, you know, I'm, I can't get out of this, this rhythm of bad luck. Personally, I would say that Sunday's accident, the one just gone into the wall, was his fault because other drivers managed to clear it fine. Um, I'm not saying, oh, my God, is rubbish, but, you know, he, it was a misjudgment from him. Um, however, I can understand it was a tricky angle and I've explained I don't like that corner. Um, but everything else, those previous difficult races, in, you know, in Tuscany and in Britain, at Silverstone in Britain, I felt as if he was suffering from some, from some bad luck. But what I want to know is two questions from you guys. You can answer either one or both. Um, what are your opinions on that pro problematic turn two at Sochi? Because it literally came up constantly throughout that race and obviously Sainz's incident as well. And then what do you think about Sainz's tricky spell? Is it bad luck or just bad form or bad driving? What's going on with Carlos Sainz? Is it signs of more problems to come? What uh, uh, sorry, have, have, have they changed something with the, that corner that you have to go around the, the orange thing, right? Basically, yeah, if you cross over, the, there's an orange um, curb, but it's not even a curb, there's a painted line like on the corner. If you go over mm. it, they say don't rejoin straight away because that could be dangerous because apparently I think in the past there must have been problems rejoining. So they've said if you, the second your wheel crosses over that orange line, you then have to, it's the rules, you have to go off, off track onto that um, runoff where you would go between the bars and rejoin at a safer a safer place and that was like written in the rules but it's stupid like how close the the like twisty added mm. chicane is to the wall as we saw when science decided that he was going to test the structural rigidity of the <laughs> side of the f1 circuit <laughs> yeah well i don't i don't understand why they did it like that because do you know in monza there is that added chicane after the uh, uh, there's an added artificial chicane after the if you got if you miss the first chicane after the the start finish trait. Do you want one? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, yep. that's a much bigger sort of chicane, much more forgiving, and judging by the size 
of the uh, runoff area they have in Sochi. They could have just put in a much bigger one, much more obvious, um, much more forgiving chicane that perhaps you know made the driver swerve in a much larger arcs rather than the little itty bitty arcs that they they had to to get through the little itty bitty chicane that they they ended up going with. I don't know. I I, I think it could be done much better. I think in regards to signs, he's just in a period of bad luck right now. Um, all drivers go through them, as we know. He's had a great deal of, well, I wouldn't say luck, but sort of good form insofar that he's been performing quite well this season, ordinarily. Uh, he's got that move for Ferrari. Um, exceeded all expectations, I believe, the, the season before. So in that regard, he's made his own luck, and I'd say he is on an upwards trajectory. But... Um, it's just one of those where I suppose at the end of the day you go through a sticky patch. Everyone's gone through it as a as a racing driver. I mean, even Hamilton. I remember when he was uh, at McLaren in the sort of twilight years just before he moved. Things weren't great there in regards to uh, where he finished in terms of uh, pit stop times, in terms of qualifying. Um, things weren't great, but I think he's just got to keep plugging away. Um, not not. Um, make sure that this doesn't sort of get him down, and I think he'll be fine. But I think one of the biggest losers of signs are the not starting as we saw in Belgium or being forced to retire largely due to no fault of his own. I mean, there's question marks on the on the Sochi one in that regard. But it's actually damaging McLaren a great deal. I mean, if we look there at Belgium when he didn't start, his teammate Lando Norris was only able to finish 7th. I say only, but when you look at the fact that he had finished 3rd and 5th, that is a downgrade. Uh, compare that to Italy, where Sainz was there uh, and finished 2nd, Norris finished 4th. So it just shows how useful it is to have a teammate up there with you uh, at Albon, at Red Bull, etc, etc. But that's the real loser, in my view, from Sainz's bad form. And I think as well, if we're looking sort of at the constructors here... McLaren are in third, and you would say relatively comfortably to an extent, with um, Racing Point having that uh, points deduction. But with Renault coming up, as they have been doing and performing consistently at the top end of the grid, it just shows you that if McLaren are going to have a, a great season or to make real strides on what they did, they did last season, they need both drivers to be there. And um, fingers crossed for Zach Brown and friends that um, this little blip from Carlos will be just that before he, he goes off to uh, pass his knee. I think it's interesting what you're you talking about Hamilton there because I came across um, an article seven years ago because it was the anniversary of Hamilton moving over to Mercedes from McLaren. And uh, what was really funny was everyone was commenting how this was going to be a disaster for Hamilton because of the uncompetitive package that Mercedes had and uh, hindsight in this exp in this case feels kind of like a superpower because I could be like you were wrong and you were wrong and you were wrong and you were strangely right um, uh, and it, what's interesting is this strikes some parallels I suppose to what Carlos Sainz is about to do moving over to Ferrari so maybe when we look back at this in two years time because it won't be competitive next year but with the new rule change of 2021 I hope that we can sort of say that this was all a bit of bad luck for Science, and he ended up going to competitive Ferrari because I don't really want Science to end up like Alonso. He's um, idle, fully enough. Yeah, it would be fitting if, if you know, he said he wants to walk in Alonso's shoes. Unfortunately, those shoes have been filled with a little bit of success, but 
some really bad decision making when he went to Ferrari and he just became uncompetitive and then left Ferrari to go to McLaren. My God. <laughs> just... <laughs> oh, dear. Daniel Kvyat returned to his home circuit of Sochi on Sunday with a spring in his step after the 26-year-old Russian qualified in 11th place the day before, this being his highest qualifying position this season that he's matched on two other separate occasions at Spa and Monza this year. This starting place allowed Daniel to have a free choice of tyres for the start, a decision he utilised to great effect after he opted for the hard tyres, the most durable and most long-lasting compound available to drivers, as its name does suggest. This decision saw the 26-year-old stay out on track until lap 30 and jump the rest of the midfield drivers who had decided to pit earlier, alongside Lewis Hamilton, who was handed two five-second penalties earlier on in lap 8. This decision saw Kvyat climb as high as third place behind Raider Bottas and Max Verstappen. The Russian fell and eventually finished in eighth place. However, this can be viewed as a massive result for both the driver and the team, considering this is the second highest positional finish he's been able to achieve this season, and the fifth time he scored points on a race weekend. After the race, Kvyat said, When I saw Hamilton behind me and I was able to keep him behind for a couple of laps, I thought the pace of my race was amazing. And he's not wrong to make this assertion. After all, the last four races of the F1 calendar have included the high-speed circuits of Spa, Monza, Mugello and Sochi. Four circuits where both AlphaTauri cars have finished in the points on all but one occasion, and even that was when Pierre Gasly was forced to retire after he was sandwiched by Kimi Raikkonen and Grosjean on the first lap. But I guess we can excuse him for that, considering he won the Italian Grand Prix the weekend before. So with more high-speed circuits like the Nürburgring and Algarve, as well as the Imola Grand Prix scheduled into this year's calendar, both drivers firing on all cylinders, and the team being just 15 points shy of the Ferrari team, who are seemingly sacrificing one driver at the expense of the other, question for you all, could Alpha Tauri catch and finish above Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship this year? That's a good. I like that. I didn't even think about about that discussion about where they could finish. I I don't I don't think well I don't think they will know. I think this was an excellent yet not rare is the wrong word, but not common performance from Kvyat. And I think Gasly's either really good or has a bit of a rubbish time. So I would say that Ferrari might will still do better. But I hope I'm wrong. It'll be interesting to see. I'm not sure that AlphaTauri could beat Ferrari. Uh, I mean, stranger things have happened. To be fair, strange things have happened, such as Alfa Tauri winning the Italian Grand Prix um, about a month ago with Pierre Gasly. But, it, you, I mean, I don't know. I say that. It, it is interesting to see It is interesting to see how Ferrari at the moment are close to Alfa Tauri, who are in seventh, and they are to Renault, who are in fifth in the Constructors' Championship. Um, it's crazy to think that. If you told me that at the start of the season, that that would be the case after 10 races, I would not have believed you. Um, However, at the same time, I kept, whilst Alpha Tauri's form is on an up, upward trajectory um, and Ferrari's does seem to be on a downward one, I think that would be due to the fact that if you look at Alpha Tauri's uh, victory at Monza, that would definitely like they would definitely boost their like points, average points per race over the last few races. Um, and if I had to predict, I'd say that Ferrari would maintain that sixth place. Um, but I guess you never know. Could like I mean Daniel Cavia had. For sure, his best race of the season. 
at Sochi this weekend. Maybe it was the factor of the home crowd and the um, the home environment, but he was he was on fire. He was my driver of the day, to be honest. He just seemed to get everything right. Um, but at the same time, I can. I, I mean, maybe he's hit a nice stretch of form and he's going to be uh, racing like that for the rest of the season. But at the same time, I can see Ferrari maintaining that sixth place. But I still think Alpha Tari, even if they finish seventh, you can see them finishing miles ahead of the three teams below them, which I still think would be a, a good season for them. I mean, they've won a race, so it clearly would be a very good season for them. So yeah, I, but I can still see Ferrari finishing in that sixth place. And so ends episode 12 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much, dear listener, for tuning in once again to listen to us speak about Formula 1 and specifically about the Sochi Grand Prix. We open things up by talking about Hamilton, the penalty which was meant to have never occurred according to the FIA. They are stating they were wrong to enact the two separate five-second penalties. They've taken away the points on Hamilton's super driver's license and instead have handed a fine to Mercedes as punishment, stating that the team were at fault and not the driver. We were discussing uh, all about that and a little bit more. Uh, In addition, we were also talking about fans. Fans were back at Mugello as well as Sochi. We were thinking that would never have happened um, due to the current situation we are in in regards to COVID-19 and all of the restrictions, but it was able to happen. Thousands were able to flock in in a COVID secure manner and we were discussing is it worth it in fact to go to, to some of these Grand Prix considering the price that you are paying for these tickets and in fact the limited viewpoint uh, and insights you perhaps get when you're there at the circuit as opposed to watching it on a screen. Uh, thirdly we spoke about Lance Stroll, we'd love to go and have a little joke at Lance Scholl's expense. All in good humour, of course, if you're listening, Lance and friends, and in fact, Lawrence, the one with the money. Um, but we were discussing whether or not Lance Stroll is in fact a driver who's been down on second luck, and whether or not he can actually improve and continue his upwards trajectory, which, to be fair to him, has been occurring this season, regardless of the advantage he has with the car. Uh, fourthly, we talked about Carlos Sainz, a Ferrari driver to be, but a man down on his luck. Um, you could say that in the last, we well, should say, uh, in the last time he crashed, that this was due to no fault of his own, but at Sochi, uh, it very much was, unfortunately. We were just discussing how valuable he is and whether or not he is able to turn around this form and what effect this could have for McLaren, be that positive or negative. And finally, we then talked about Alpha Tari and Daniel Kvyat, who did rather well at his home Grand Prix. Uh, they are only 15 points behind Ferrari. Could the now sister team of Red Bull, the former junior team of Red Bull, formerly known as Toro Rosso, actually jump the prancing horses of Ferrari? Stranger things have happened. But then again, Gasly did win the Monza Grand Prix, so anything can happen. We will wait and see to see whether or not AlphaTauri can utilise the form they've formerly had over the last few races at high-speed circuits. Uh, Thank you very much, as always, to Tristan, Liv and Angus for your expertise on a vast array of topics. And we will catch you in episode 13. Woo! Love it. Boom. That was good, guys. I think that was a good episode. You know, I feel like the fans are going to love it. Yeah.